Good morning. I'm your host, Bram Shank, and welcome back to Appleosophy Weekly. We're joined by a very special guest today, Mr. Ralph Theodori. He's the design director over at Vectornator. He's going to join us to unwrap the tech of today, and that includes a deep look at Apple's new child protection tech, iPhone 13 news, and more. Ralph, how's it going? Going pretty well. Some heavy topics we have today. Yes, controversial topics, but hopefully we can get to the bottom of how the technology works and then people can make informed opinions about what's going on with Apple's new child safety protections that they've put in place. I want to start off with Vectornator and, and yeah. what's new on that front. Tell us about what's new at Vectornator. A lot of things happening in our company right now. We're expanding. We are growing and we just moved to, we just moved our company to Berlin and our team has grown to almost we're going to grow to almost uh, 55 to 60 members by end of this year. So we have a lot of openings. So if you guys want to check out, like if you guys are interested in, in, in graphic design, passionate about vector graphics or shaping the future of that, uh, you, should, you definitely should uh, try joining us or check out like the career section in our webpage. But other than that, we're preparing for some cool uh, software updates coming at the Vectinator. We, we are looking at, at September. iOS 15 is coming. A lot of exciting yes. things coming too. Yeah. We, I don't want to reveal a lot of things, but we have some <laughs> exciting updates coming. Like the layer tab is getting redesigned. Some new functions are coming. Something that has to do with the cloud also coming for us. The secret of showmanship is secrecy, right? Yeah, yeah. you got to generate hype and it's hard to generate hype with all the leaks. Thank God, Vectinator is a small company. We don't really get our secrets out, but <laughs> companies big as Apple, you got whole channels uh, leaking stuff. But what do you think about that? There's a report at Apple employees are currently fighting against this. There's a report that Apple wants to install webcams in the homes of Apple employees to monitor how much time they're actually spending at their desk. They would have to sign in and sign out of work being their desk. They'd have to sign an agreement that says Apple may accidentally capture private family conversations that may make their way to on, onto Apple servers. What do you think about that? For secrecy's sake, if something was a very like secretive topic, I would understand. But when it comes to monitoring the employee, I don't think that's good for the well-being of the employee. I think if you're working from home, you should be trusted. You should be it should be driven by, by the results of what you're doing. I don't, if, if someone wants to go leave and do some laundry and come back, I don't want, uh, I don't yes. want uh, Apple to go and say no or, or something like that. And, and that's the thing is Apple, Apple's been having issues with the amount of leaks that have been, have been escaping the company since everything went virtual. It's a serious problem and you have to wonder how are they going to mitigate that if people are still working from home? for the foreseeable future, at least until the end of September, according to Tim Cook. One has to realize we're living in this modern age, this digital age of getting our work done. For us, it's normal. This is the way we've done it pretty much forever. But for many people, they're having to adjust and the, the adjustment period is leveling off. And now we have to ask serious questions about how do we implement these things long-term? And for me, it really boils down to, is, is it a, is is the position driven hourly or is it deadline driven? Is it ta task driven? You have to ask yourself those questions and, and then you can really determine what measures need to be implemented. Maybe it's meeting a certain number of calls per day or whatever it is. Yeah, Apple definitely has been one of those companies that have been reserved uh, or, or, or I, I wouldn't say fully into this whole working from home thing, but I, I, I definitely got both like both perspectives because 
us at Vectorator, we are highly, uh, we're a highly mobile company. We, most of mm-hmm. our employees are, are all, most of our team members are all remote workers. And now a lot of our designers are living in Berlin. Um, but I've had a sense of both remote work and working at, at the office. And there are some things that you just can't replicate when you're at home. I think that there are moments of great, I would say, ideas and, and great collaboration that, that can be sparked only when you're in the same room as anyone else. We worked on so many cool updates at Vectinator, so many features and so many cool things came up mm-hmm. just because of the reason we were all together in one room arguing or talking over lunch and, and, and coming up with, with crazy things. When you're at home, I don't think you could come up with that, that same energy that same enthusiasm but i definitely the, the, corrupt, think, the camaraderie aspect of it yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the, then there's a lot of uh cool things that you can also do at home there's so many things that you really don't need to commute to work i want to break it down and then we'll get into sort of knee-jerk reactions so it boils down to three things apple's expanding guidance for siri and spotlight search across all devices this provides additional resources to help children and parents stay safe online and get help with unsafe situations. So for example, a user who asks uh, Siri how they can report CSAM, that's child sexual abuse material, will be pointed to resources for where and how to file a report. Additionally, if there is someone seeking this material, they are searching for CSAM, um, they will be directed to organizations that can provide them with mental health help on that front. So that begins with Siri and Spotlight. There's also some optional communication safety features in Messages, in the Messages app on the iPhone. And this is particularly for children. So when you configure a family on iCloud, you can set this up for a child. So it uses on-device machine learning to, to analyze images that are sent back and forth on iMessage. And if a photo is determined to be sexually explicit, the photo will automatically be blurred. I, I don't think only sexually uh, explicit. I think it should also match the the database of the missing children database. Yeah, Apple is just saying sexually explicit at the moment. That's their wording that they're going with. Um, but I would imagine, I don't know how it plays into the hashing and stuff, and, and we'll get into that. It, it's funny because you have journalists who are not AI engineers trying to wrap their heads around this and help the layperson understand what is going on here? And, and it can be challenging. And there has been quite a lot of backlash about it. I must say, I understand why so many people, let's say, have so much opposition. Because it feels like this feature. surveillance. It does, but also in a company, let's say, in, in a world ravaged by companies like Facebook and Google completely violating your privacy. Apple is one of those only companies that are privacy oriented, or at least still take privacy seriously. (laughs) And when you have a company like that roll out something that is, that has to do with universal scanning or, or scanning of Mm -hmm. your photos, no matter what, no matter how safely you build that system, the word scanning your photos is already a red alert for so many people. Yeah. And I think what you're, what you're referring to is the quote unquote photo scanning So if you have your iCloud uh, photo library turned on, Apple will be able to detect known CSAM, child sexual abuse material images stored in your iCloud photos. Now the detection happens on device. So that sort of plays into, as you were saying, this is such a huge pillar of Apple's brand, the whole what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. They believe this privacy used to mean, as Steve Jobs used to say, 
we're asking people repeatedly, do you want to turn this feature on? Do you want us to know your notification or your location? And, and now it's morphed into deferential privacy and how much we can keep on device. And, and so it, it, they really evolved their, their very own idea of what privacy means on a consumer device. I, and it's, I, I think it's really important to break down the technology. I still don't think it's a huge departure from their own philosophy or privacy philosophy. I think this is still in line of what they do. And I think if anyone would have ever built a system that has to deal with C, like what was the name of this C-scan? The CSAM. CSAM imagery. I think that is the correct way to do it. Like the way Apple engineered it, I would say one of the highest security and, and, and privacy standards you could you get out of a universal scanner for devices. It's on device, as you said. It's built, it's built like a black box, like an airplane black box. It's very airtight. It's very thought through. The only thing I have against it is the manual review. Just yeah, we're going to break that after that works too. Exactly. After it, it matches, oh, you could go ahead and explain it a bit more and we can discuss it later. And some people have come forward with knee jerk uh, reactions to this. One of them being Edward Snowden. Uh, he's huge on data privacy, that whole move, uh, movement. He was a, a whistleblower. Um, he says, quote, no matter how well-intentioned, Apple is rolling out mass surveillance to the entire world with this. No, make no mistake, if they can scan for kitty porn today, they can scan for anything tomorrow. They turned a trillion dollars of devices into iNARCs without asking, end quote. What comes to mind when you... A lot of things come in mind. First, I don't agree with everything that Edward Snowden said here. Again, the biggest concern is for Apple to use the same technology for other use cases. And mm -hmm. for now, we are discussing child sexual abuse, which is a noble use case, which is a very specific thing that Apple decided to launch this feature for. And we haven't heard Apple talk about any other use cases. I haven't heard Apple talk about using this same technology for other things too. Him arguing that they can basically use this technology for other scanning purposes, for scanning for other types of material without the user's permission. I think that's totally wrong. I think if Steve Jobs, that, that's basically what Steve Jobs' motto is all about. They will ask the user. They will let us know if they're going to scan for new material. They're not going to go ahead and just do it. They got to upgrade their privacy policy again. Remember, they're not going to, they're a huge company. Uh, I don't think they can get away with such violations. Google can, uh, Facebook can, but I don't think Apple can really um, do that. So yeah, Edwards Snowden's argument point about, yeah, that Apple can use this for other use cases. I don't think that's accurate. I think that once Apple wants to use it for other use cases, we will know about it. So even if this feature, and I believe it's implemented in a privacy-centric manner, it's easy to imagine the snowball effects of this. Are you going to have governments calling on Apple to, to look for things like terrorist activity? It's, it's easy to wonder the subsequent impact of this feature being implemented. What can and will it be applied to in the future? Apple has responded to these concerns and they've said, we're firm on this. The answer will be no. And we're going to continue to say no, just as we always have to independent governments and things like that as far as monitoring people. But the word that we keep hearing here and we're using it as well is scanning. And it's when we say scanning, we're broadly boxing this all into this one thing, this idea that we're going to upload our photos to the cloud and Apple's going to look at each and every one of them. And that's not what's happening if you break yeah. down how the technology's working. Exactly. There, people think that Apple just opened Pandora's box uh, on yeah. scanning where it's just a black box for now. 
Really, it is still an enclosed black box. Yeah. Famed tech analyst, Renee Ritchie, who's a podcaster and YouTuber as well, he says, quote, there's never any, quote, scanning. If you turn off iCloud Photo Library, the system is disabled, according to Apple. But if you think you can switch to Google Photos, Dropbox, Microsoft, etc., they've all been doing real scanning <laughs> yeah, for CSAM for years. So the people that are looking through your photos and don't have anything in place preventing them from seeing your photos are these companies like Google, Dropbox, Microsoft. They don't have a privacy-centric Google way of implementing this. Dude, Google used Google Photos to train their AI models for years now. Like, how do you think uh, their recognition search is so good? Yeah, it is. All sort of things. And they weren't under fire for this because that's Google. But to circle back on Renee's uh, point was also that if you disable your iCloud library, this feature will be disabled. It's another concern of mine. What then prevents the abuser from just turning off the iCloud library and just preventing himself from getting caught? You have a situation where an abuser knows exactly what they need to do now to to hide from this. Basically. And and then that's one of the points where I also have some criticism towards Apple. I feel like this system should have been more airtight, I would say. At face value, if I'm an average consumer and I'm not interested in learning how the technology works, I just want an idea of what's going on. If the first sentence that I read is, this only works if I have iCloud turned on, I immediately go, wait, so this means my photos are being sent to Apple servers so they can look exactly. through them? That's exactly, and, the, and a lot of people will make that judgment at face value. I, I totally agree. I think like the, the way they mixed up the word like iCloud photo library with yes. on-device scanning did not really match. Like it did, does not really match the narrative that Apple's trying to sell. And I think that that should have been off topic. And Neelai Patel over at The Verge, he oftentimes we disagree on Twitter on a lot of things, but he makes a very important point. And I totally support him a thousand percent on this. He says, Apple should look inward at this and realize, number one, we should have expected a certain amount of backlash. And number two, if we had to issue a fact of frequently asked questions on this just a few days after the announcement, we probably didn't do a good enough job explaining what we're actually doing. Yeah. And here's the thing. Let's break down how it works. Let's unwrap this. So as you mentioned, it only works if iCloud photo sharing is turned on. The scan happens, scan happens on the device in order to prevent Apple from seeing the photo in question. Even if there is a match, Apple employees never see the photo that matched. So matching a matching photo causes an encrypted safety voucher to be generated containing hash metadata about the photo and a visual this is like a visual derivative of the photo with all the sensitive parts blurred or obscured this voucher is uploaded with the photo but it is inaccessible to anyone until after an account exceeds multiple matches consistent with hashes that present known csam so only then are apple employees able to see the voucher contents, uh -huh. the hash of the original photo, not the original photo. It's you, you also got to think that there are so many messaging platforms that auto save all of the, your images into your photo library without you owning them. Actually, you just you, they're just saved in your photo library. That's something I don't know if it can be addressed or not. But when it comes to this type of yeah, my my reaction to this topic is of course it's a highly controversial topic. You, you can't really take the right stance on this. But it's I important that you say that because we can all get behind reporting this content. Reporting CSAM is an important and valuable and noble cause. 
Yeah, but still, the only thing I don't like about it is that still there's the human factor. So I don't know how you can build an airtight system or like a private system uh, or a private privacy focused company can still have the human factor to verify if the AI was right or wrong. Apple claims that this AI is uh, highly accurate and won't have a lot of mismatches, which we definitely hope that is not the case. I hope that it's really accurate. I hope it works out really well, but still there's a human behind the screen that will still double check and review everything. And I think this if is- If the bit threshold is met multiple times. Yeah, but still this is a, this is where the privacy concern should be. There's a human. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that the human factor is always uh, a major privacy concern in any system. Yeah. And Apple says, Apple actually put a number on this. They said it's a one in one trillion chance that this AI fails to do its job. We keep hearing this term and we would describe this hashing. Apple keeps using the word hashing. And unless you're involved in AI, you don't hear this term that often. It's a special cryptographic function. And it transforms one set of data into another that has a fixed length. It's like a mathematical process. So this involves mapping the data using a hash table and then storing the output data in the digest. So it's like running something through a function, like a math problem. In the context of security, it's virtually impossible to reconstruct the data from the exactly. output. You need, you, need a, you need a hashing table. You need, you need a lot. And Apple says, yeah. we're never going to release that. We're never going to release. If you are going to consider this a back door, we're never going to release the key to the door. It is basically what Apple's saying. And that yeah, was another I consideration. When it comes to the hashing, I think it's generated per hash. I'm not sure mm -hmm. yet, but uh, I think it's, it is one of the highest standards of cryptography right now. Hashing is quite widespread and it's used for exactly what Apple is using right now, sending sensitive data, like photos can be reconstructed for anything, but imagine if every pixel is scattered everywhere or it's encrypted to a level where you just can't um, comprehend what, what this picture is about or. You mentioned, what was his name? Patel. Yeah, I, I love that guy. Even though I disagree with him sometimes on The Verge, but yeah. I gotta say, I don't know if you've seen him uh, sometimes, but he has posed some really hard questions to Jeff Bezos in some of these interviews. Oh, yes. Um, and I love him for that. I think, yeah, I, I really like his comments to, to Jeff Bezos. Yes, I agree. We spoke with David Pogue about that. He's reading the new book on what's actually going on at, at, at Amazon. It, and this is where I want to clear up what's actually going on here. A lot of people think, oh my God, as soon as I update my phone to iOS 15, Apple's going to put kitty porn, abuse porn on my device. This is a cryptographic representation of those images that cannot be decoded. You can't yeah, and backwards again, engineer again, this. This is a feature, again, yeah, this is a feature where the majority of people won't be affected. Yes. This is directly, this is made for a noble cause. This is made directly to catch abusers and to really help accelerate that process. And I think that they definitely made the right decision. I don't know when it comes to the process they built, if it's the securest thing possible, the, the securest thing ever, but I think time will tell. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is we have to be as consumers, we have to be vocal about this and say, we're going to stand firm on, we don't want this to be expanded to monitor things that don't need to be monitored. It's understandable that everyone has concerns about the different, like this technology being used for other use cases, but that is not the case right now. And again, that that's 
the current feature right now won't really affect you <laughs> yeah. or anyone else around you as long as you guys are or normal people. It's, it's comparing to the CSAM model that the government provides, which is was another concern from others that other governments would, let's say, play around and give you some other models to scan in and they can scan anything else. But uh, yeah. as long as it's yep. CSAM uh, data set, as long as it's, that's the model that we're scanning across, I think that's so totally safe. And, and Apple's remains firm on the idea of limit the amount of explicit content on their stores on iTunes through the app store. When the app store came out, Steve Jobs famously said there, there will be no explicit or otherwise pornographic material on my app store. This is not happening. And, and it, I remember there was some controversy just a couple of years ago with iOS 12. It had that new on-device uh, AI processing feature where you could search in photos. So you say, uh, dog and it would show all the pictures of your yeah. dog. You could search in the photos app. And one of the things that had come up was Apple had added the word brazier. And again, just a quick breakdown of how this works. Apple has a, a, a database of known CSAM image hashes. Yeah. Uh, that's that's child sexual provides. abuse material. Yes. That the government provides. They compare this list of image hashes to the hashes of user photos. If they match, it creates a cryptographically encoded safety voucher. That safety voucher is uploaded to Apple. If the threshold of matches is exceeded, only then can Apple interpret the voucher content, not look at the photo, interpret the voucher content for CSAM matches. So if the threshold is repeatedly met, Apple takes a look at it and they report it to the NCMEC, which is of course the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which I think yeah. is, we can all get behind this at its current state, as you said. Yeah. I don't know if there's any closing remarks on this topic. We definitely talked about like the human factor being weak, mm -hmm. um, Apple not expanding this to other use cases. But I think that there has been a lot of controversy on this topic. It's been trending on Twitter for quite a few days and almost every YouTuber, everyone in the uh, tech industry has commented on this, including Edward Snowden, for, for yeah. God's sake. But but I would like to say that why didn't everyone voice the same concerns when Pegasus software was out? Why yes. was a spyware that was not even controlled by Apple ultra dangerous can spread across a single iMessage to everyone, which could literally monitor you for everything, Was didn't have as malicious controversy at all. It was like, oh, there's a spyware that governments were using. And I'm like, okay, okay. You know, and of course, when it's Apple, there's always controversy, no matter what they do. And I think what's going on here is a lot of people aren't reading between the lines. And if you take things at face value, it looks like Apple is going back on their promises with, with their main part of their brand, which is privacy. Let's put things all on device so that people can have their privacy. I remember Tim Cook back with the terrorist incident where they wouldn't unlock the iPhone with Syed Farouk. Tim Cook blatantly stated, we don't want to build a backdoor. And even if we did, we wouldn't want to give up the key. Because whenever there is a key, one way or another, the bad guys are going to find it. And when I think about this new technology, it is a backdoor. And there is a function, a hash that yeah. makes all this happen. Who's to say that a disgruntled Apple employee doesn't leak this function, the way it's, the way that this is, this process is happening on device. Who's to say. If you were 
I don't think the reviewer would have access to the technology or how it works. He would just review things. Uh, and that's the thing. But it's still a privacy concern. Again, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of human humans being involved in any process. Yeah. Like that. But still, it's a way to reassure that the platform is working and it's a way to, to make sure that just once in a trillion uh, times when, when the AI fails, that we can adjust it and we can correct it. And you don't end up people getting falsely accused or falsely reported. Uh, it's really mm -hmm. But I think the concern here, and I, I, we comment on this stuff, not being AI engineers. So it's hard for us to understand the scope of what's going to, I mean, is that even possible for an Apple employee to share the function with someone that may not have the best intentions? Or could, does only the computer know? I can find you an AI engineer. We have some really cool guys at Vectinator working on some AI applications in our app. I'd love to have some of them on and, and, and dive deep into how this technology really works because as much reading as I've done, at the end of the day, I'm not an AI engineer. I'm a tech journalist. I'm a tech analyst. You know, I love to learn though. And that's the important thing is that we educate people out there so they can make educated opinions, educated commentary on what's actually going on. They need to be informed. Speaking of keeping everyone educated, please, right now we're, you're most probably on an iOS version that is infected with Pegasus and mm -hmm. there's a chance that you might be, you might have that spyware. So might as well check there. There are a couple sources where you can actually check if your device has that spyware or not. One of them is the app iMazing, which is like an mm -hmm. iTunes alternative on the Mac. Uh, you can just plug your iPhone and it will just tell you that if it has a spyware or not, but yeah, I think it's good. I no, love iMazing. Amazing is a great app. I hope they sponsor us. Me too. I, I think they have some really cool functions on the device. On what, you can do a lot with your iPhones. You can extract also apps and stuff. Yes. I, in the early days of M1, late last year, I was using it oh, to extract okay. the app files and, and run them on. And just double click and install them. Yeah. Yeah. I just hate that they removed that from later versions. It, it's just so sad that they stopped sideloading. On, on but the apps that I kept on there still work. Same, same. I know they're not supposed to. So <laughs> same for me. So, uh, as long as I have, I have crazy happens in Monterey. <laughs> I have my YouTube apps and Netflix and all of these installed from the first version, and they still they're still running. Please sponsor us, iMazing. We love you. <laughs> nice. Moving forward, we have some iPhone 13 news, and before we even get into the supposed specs of this new phone, get this, Ralph. 44% of existing iPhone users are already planning to upgrade to the iPhone 13. That's almost half of the current base. And they don't even know what the features are. They don't even know what colors it comes in, what it looks like, the materials it's been made with. And they're already saying, I plan to upgrade later this people month. Seem, people are coming from a two-year or three-year upgrade cycle. And if you think about it back then, two years ago, I think the iPhone 11, and 11 Pro yep. were launched, and then the back then the 10 and and the, the 10s and the 10r were also there. And I think from the 10r or coming from 11, I think it's a huge upgrade. I, you got a lot of people trying AMOLED or OLED for the first time, so that's pretty. Well, it's it's interesting because we keep hearing that, that the vernacular in journalism, oh, this is a super cycle. The iPhone 12 was a super cycle. The iPhone 11 was a super uh -huh. cycle, and it's like, what is the true super cycle. Do most people wait two to three years or five years? What, what do you think is the true super cycle? And, and what is it like for you in particular? Yeah, I think a super cycle in terms of Apple is when something radical is happening with the iPhone. 
I think like not every year is a super cycle, of course, because mm -hmm. some years there were some minor upgrades, just I can also, but Apple has played that game quite well. I think they played every non-super cycle year, very tempting. I could give you an example when iPhone 10 launched and they needed mm -hmm. to launch something else the next year, they saved up the max for the next year. So they launched the max size, which generated a lot of hype and it's a new product category for them. So that was pretty great. But for example, the 10S here, that was a very minor year. If they didn't launch like the, the max, that was probably going to be a very tiny year for sale of sales for them. But yeah, a super cycle is something radical that is coming. And then of course, and the iPhone 12 would definitely be a super cycle because New it's design. a full complete redesign. Yeah. As you said, the iPhone 12 design is, it was always very nostalgic to me because it reminded me of mm -hmm. the iPhone 4, obviously the iPhone 4 and 4S. So it's hard to say that it's new. No, it is. For a lot of people, um, yeah. It's the same design language as the stuff we saw back in the early 2010s, which has a level of charm to it. It feels as Steve used to say, it feels like jewelry. If you think about it, even the iPhone 10 did not change when it comes to the overall design, the overall beveled or like rounded corners uh, of, of Apple, like these really curved edges have been there since the iPhone 6 and I'm not a fan. <laughs> and then, and yeah, for iPhone 12 to do that and for them to scale back from the 2.5D glass, like this curved glass that they have on the Apple watch and they have on the iPhone and now to, to for, for them to also just go back to fully flat glass is also just so beautiful, so nice to have, and definitely a step in the right direction, I'd say. And an important question I posed to you at the beginning, what is your upgrade cycle like? Do you, do you wait specifically every one to two years or is it just when it looks interesting enough and you go out and buy one? I definitely try to wait two years uh, if I can hold my, let's, let's say enthusiasm, if I'm, if there's something that just came out and I would definitely try to get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely in a, on a two year cycle design. I could show you, I have my iPhone 11 uh, pro already shattered back. Yeah. I'm waiting for the next one uh, to come out so I can upgrade. There you go. Hope they still give you a good trading on that. Yeah. What about you? I I'm sporting the iPhone 12 pro max and goal. I love this thing. Battery life is phenomenal. Really? The camera oh, is I can read amazing. battery life improvements. Nice. And there's actually, there was a report that just came out this morning that says due to the, the smaller size of the A15 chip and its power efficiency this year, Apple will be adding even better battery life to this year's iPhone, even bigger. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely happening and the batteries are definitely getting bigger, not just because of like also the new LTPO displays uh, are going to be very power demanding if we're going to have some promotion mm -hmm. um, stuff on the new iPhone. But also, yeah, LTPO, they use this on the Apple Watch and they tell you that they can slow down the display to one hertz so they can have the always on technology on the watch. And I think that doesn't stop them from doing that on the iPhone. Uh, they can slow down the, the, the refresh rate to almost one hertz on the iPhone and just have a very power efficient, yeah, display on the iPhone too. With that being said, let's get into the leaks coming from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. He's talking iPhone 13 leaks for this year. He says the new iPhone will feature ProRes for videos, a ProMotion display, and portrait mode for video, along with a smaller notch. Sounds interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. You want so to get into stuff? Yeah, let's get into the video stuff. Yeah, most of... Uh, when I, when I heard is that most of the YouTubers are all saying, oh, Samsung did it first because like of the portrait video topic, I think the Galaxy Note 10, that was uh, implemented though. 
Exactly. That's what I wanted to say. I played around with it. It turns on and off. It's weird. It's blurry. It blurs the wrong things quite a lot. I don't think Apple would do that. So I think it would be much more stable. Usually Apple waits until they have things working as intended and reliably. Yeah. Also they pushed out a feature. Yeah. Apple has been ahead in video for the last at least four to five years. Uh, there is no Android yes. phone right now that can match what the iPhone can do. And the last thing and that those are just bags. Yeah. Also, yeah. HDR recording, like the, the new HDR level video recording was like the final blow to Google. <laughs> they, yes. Yeah. I, I think video playback on your new 12 Pro Max is, is magical. Like when you open up a HDR video. Yes. With Dolby Vision, it's mm -hmm. tremendous, especially in low light. Apple is dubbing this new portrait video feature that will debut on the new iPhone 13. They're dubbing it cinematic video internally, and it'll use the iPhone's depth sensor along with the LiDAR sensor to create the effect. And it will allow users to change the amount of blur after recording, similar to just a, a, a bokeh photo. Is that how you say it? Okay. Bokeh? Okay. Yeah, bokeh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm I don't Italian, know. so I just go to Boca. I think when it comes to that, we're just going to expect a lot of new TikToks and Instagram stories with a lot of blur, with a lot of, uh, a lot of blur in the background. Yeah. So along with portrait mode video, Apple is, as you said, bringing ProRes for videos to the iPhone. And this allows uh, users to record video in a higher quality format. It's also very friendly for Final Cut. Please add that to the iPad, Apple. Thank you. Mm -hmm. In addition, according to Mark Gurman, people will be able to apply effects to specific objects in their photos. So making certain objects warmer or cooler or keeping whites more neutral in a photo. So it, it can create a deeper look by simulating shadows, contrasts, and they're even planning a more balanced style for showing true to life colors with a quote unquote brighter appearance. Wow. That, that means that A15 processor is up to the challenge. It's, uh, well, and it also means that the photos I'm taking are true to life, Ralph. They look better than what was actually there, which to me, it feels very Google. Let's just oversaturate everything. Yeah. Um, oversaturated and over sharpen everything. I don't know yeah. if you own a pixel before, so, but yeah. Yeah. So it, Apple's always been very good about capturing a relatively true to life photo. So I hope these, they make these actions optional. Or I guess if you want just the naked photo, you can shoot in pro raw as you can already on the iPhone 12. But as we start adding these pro camera functionalities to, to consumer products, I know they're called pro, but as we stated in last week's episode, yeah. many people are buying the pro or the pro max iPhones just because they want the best iPhone money can buy, not because they're a professional they're or highly invested. Yeah. Or highly invested in photography. So how do you explain these features? to the average user. If I want a true life photo, is it easy to understand? Oh, I just switched to pro raw. Apple out of all companies know how to better, how, how to explain these things very intuitively. Mm -hmm. Like the way they built the camera app is very intuitive. The way they built, mm -hmm. let's say the portrait mode thing, allowing everyone to also do post editing. Like it really doesn't care. It's really, let's say very user-friendly in, in a, the way it's designed. Yeah, if they keep doing that, I think there is no, let's say, it's not really hard to explain to, to everyone. Maybe it should take off a bit more like what, it should take off a bit more than slow fees. Uh, I don't think slow fees to call it. 
<laughs> I know. I, I, I was hoping that trend would go somewhere. But man, Techtober is shaping up to be a very exciting uh, month because uh, Google is also launching the Pixel 6 and they're rumored to also go all in on cameras. They're, they have their own mm -hmm. chip also. And they're updating their sensor for the first yeah, time the since Google, the Pixel 2. <laughs> yes, uh, you won't imagine that their camera got better and better while keeping the same sensor. It was only computational mm -hmm. photography, which is interesting. It's um, phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing on Android. With Android, everything is so open. You can sideload anything and so many Samsung and OnePlus owners and then other phone owners used to, you can actually port that Google cameras app into your, so you can run the Google camera or the pixel camera on your Samsung and just get that. that oh, quality. wow. So That's yeah, so many people port, port that app. I've done that a couple of times. The results were, were nice. I couldn't imagine having so many choices. I'd be overwhelmed. Moving forward, it's time for this week in Valley drama. It's a little funny this week. We have the Open App Markets Act, which is introduced by Senators Richard Blumenthal, Marsha Blackburn, and A.B. Klobuchar. And they want to ban apps from forcing developers to use in-store payment systems. They're also campaigning for the ability to load third-party app stores onto the iPhone. And then third, they're, they're looking to limit Apple's efforts to Sherlock apps by, by only allowing Apple to use public data if they're going to copy an existing app. What do you think about that? It's a very interesting bill. When it comes to lie, I don't know where it will go. Basically, Apple will have to comply eventually if they make a decision on this. But from my side, I, I'm very pro sideloading because, because of some very specific reasons, actually. I'm from Syria. I don't know if you know about the bans on Syria and Iran. We have to explain it to the listeners. Yeah. So, so, so we have a lot of sanctions from the U.S. that ban a lot of imported goods and, and exported goods from Syria, mm -hmm. and, which is, we got used to this for the last 20, 30 years. But Apple did that uh, since the origin of the iPhone. So like we have this famous error called error 1009. App Store is not available, which means that the App Store in Syria and Iran basically just don't work. They're basically obsolete. If you try to install any app, they just won't work. You'll end up, you need a VPN in order to install um, any app on, on your iPhone. That's why a lot of people back home really end up using Android because of how hard it is to, to use an iPhone there. And wow. that's why well, I was not yeah. know that. Yeah, that's why jailbreaking uh, was quite popular in my country, but also sideloading. Uh, sideloading was one of the only ways you could actually get apps running on your iPhone because uh, just other people just can't. But that's not the point, of course. It's only specific to these countries. Um, that's a niche case, right? On, on a grand scale, I, I guess you can't. Can you still call that niche? Yeah, my, my other justification is there is currently ways to sideload apps yes. on the iPhone. There there are, like you, you can't say, oh no, like, we're going to have to wait for the bill to enable it or anything. No, you can install third-party apps, app stores on the app store, but through installing a profile. Yes. Like a enterprise profile on your iPhone that enables basically installing all these custom apps. But you don't know how violating that profile is in terms of privacy. Like mm -hmm. this profile might monitor you for so many things that you don't know. It's a very let's, dangerous topic. That's why you have these third-party app stores coming, Chinese third-party app stores, installing profiles on your device, monitoring a lot of things about your device yes. without you knowing. But then in the return, they're installing apps for you. Yeah. If Apple manages to enable or 
to manage to do side loading without these profiles, I would be very happy. I, and I think that, like you said, the importance of side loading, you gave a grand example of that in Syria, the day-to-day hurdles that someone would face just trying to use an iPhone normally, you need to sideload things or you need to jailbreak in some cases just to benefit from the device. But you also mentioned enterprise activity with profiles and things like that. The sideloading aspect is there but it, right now, but it's a huge privacy concern because the average user isn't going to look into any it's kind of agreements or what's being enabled. It's being used for the wrong purpose. These profiles are not meant for third-party app stores uh, to come in and to, to just install themselves on your iPhone. They're just not meant for that. Yeah, this act will bar companies from punishing developers that offer lower prices on a separate app store or through their own payment systems. I don't know how Apple's been punishing existing developers for doing this because all they do is circumvent it and ask you to go online to pay. So I don't understand how Apple's punishing anybody that's going to use an outside service. They're just looking for ways to skip this 30% part. It's a very gray zone, I would say, of like when would... Well, and I, Apple, yeah. Uh, yeah. It feeds into the whole thing with Epic Games and, and Tim Epic and his level of greed and not wanting to give Apple their cut. He wants this whole piece of the pie. And that's a whole discussion for a different day. But it, it feeds into that because, like you said, it's a greed-driven thing. If people, companies like Netflix and Amazon are already circumventing Apple's payment, they say, exactly. if you want to buy a movie or whatever on our platform... You want to purchase content, go purchase it online and then come back to the app and then you can consume it or watch it or whatever you're going to do in our app. So I don't get how Apple's punishing people. The, the only time they punished anybody was with punished was with Epic when they tried to add their payment method directly in the app. And they offer so, prices that undercut I'm, Apple's. I'm also payment. not against Epic having payments inside the app. Once your app is benefiting from Apple's APIs or Apple's exactly. whole journey of basically making your app function or sparkle, it's, it, Apple is not only providing the iPhone for you, but they're also like constantly improving the app experience, constantly building new APIs for developers to leverage. They're really built, they built the entire ecosystem to make this app possible. And I think that if your app is benefiting from that, I think it's a very much justified to, for Apple to take a share of that success because your app wouldn't be possible without these beautiful APIs, these beautiful systems, these kits that Apple built for your app to function. But when it comes to selling a book or selling a CD or, or mm-hmm. shopping from for, I don't know, a new vinyl record on Amazon, I, I don't want to get taxed by Apple because it, the app just simply exists on the Apple Store. I don't think Apple contributed in building that vinyl or the thing I'm buying right now. Exactly. Uh, or the movie that's that we shot. That's where it bleeds into the consumer. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the distinction needs to be made. I always go back to, again, developers are using Apple's tools to make these apps possible. Apple is providing the foundation. The developers come in with their ex- extremely great ideas and implementations of these technologies but Apple is providing the technologies. And you take a look at where we were before the iPhone. If you were an app developer and you made apps for a smartphone, cellular companies were taking 75 to 80% of your revenue. Mm -hmm. 
Apple leveled this off and said it's going to be the same as TV. It's going to be the same as movies. It's going to be the same as Nintendo video games. It's 30%. We want our 30% cut. And, and Vectinator is one of these apps. We use Apple technologies every day in our company. In one of these examples, like last month, we implemented a full camera scanner in our app where you, a lot of artists sketch out an idea and, and then they start drawing. So we built in this camera scanner. I think you use the camera scanner on your notes app. So we basically took that API from Apple and just built it directly into our app, which was super cool and, and, and easy to do. So that was, for example, a quick example, shout out to, to, to Kai and Leonard from the company and that helped implement this feature. But yeah, it's a major example of yeah, how we use technologies to make our apps better. And I love Vectornator. Vectornator is so wonderfully built and it is because Apple employees have admitted to using it every day. It's been featured in Apple's keynotes. Yeah, it, it, it was, it's uh, such a nice feeling to, to see Vectinator pop into the Apple keynote. It's always so nice. Yeah. Did you do a double tank a little bit? <laughs> when that happened? Uh, oh, yeah, it's definitely very surreal when you see it. It's, it's crazy. Most of, most of these, the most recent events we've been streaming in the company together. So we have almost everyone live streaming together and yeah, everyone cheers. Everyone feels, I feel like this big kick of motivation. I feel like I want to go in the next day, just build many more things into Vectinator and get Apple excited too. But yeah. When I saw that, I, I, I thought to myself, I bet Ralph is, is on the edge of the seat right now. That was so cool. <laughs> De definitely. Yeah. And not just me also. Yeah. Vladimir, our, our founder is also. He was ecstatic. Super, super ec ecstatic about it. And oh, our Slack goes about. Well, with that being said. That's your daily dish of Valley drama for this week. We're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. And do you want to let the people know where they can find you on the World Wide Web? Uh, yeah, you can find me on at rtheodori on Instagram and at ralphtheodori on Twitter. And yeah, you can go ahead and download Vectinator on your iPhone, iPad, and Mac for free. Try it out. So please give it a try. Yeah. Unleash your design potential. It's Vectinator. Mm -hmm. It's really a joy to use, especially on the iPad. It's so intuitive. Yeah, thanks a lot. A lot of exciting updates are coming. I'm excited, especially now that I have the M1 iPad. And you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram. Same username. It's Bramshank, all one word, B-R-A-H-M-S-H-A-N-K. It's just my name. Really easy to find. Go ahead and give me a shout out. Say hi. I'd love to talk with you guys on the line. Isn't that fun when you can do things on the line, Ralph? Mm -hmm. It's like an exchangeogram. You share photos, but they're on the line. <laughs> we'll see you guys again very soon. Thank you so much for watching. If you love the video, give it a, if you love the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Give it a great review. If you didn't like it, share it with a friend of yours. They might like it. They might come back and give us a nice review. We'll upvote. Upvote. What is this, Reddit? Thank you guys for watching. We'll see you guys again soon. Bye. Thank you.